Hello, dear friends, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry. And today, I mean, I feel like I'm always excited, but today I'm particularly excited to be speaking with a, just an incredible change maker in the work that she does. Her name is Jigyasa Labru, and she is the co-founder and CEO of Slam Out Loud. And she leads the program development, fundraising, and partnerships aspects of that work. SOL for short, right? Slam Out Loud really is about using the transformative power of visual and performing arts like theater, poetry, and storytelling to build social emotional learning skills in children from underserved backgrounds. Slam Out Loud has been collaborating with governments and artists all over India, five states so far, but there's also a cumulative reach of, get this, 10 million children across 19 countries because of their online open source curriculum. Jagasi is no joke. She uh, studied learning design as a KC Mahindra scholar at Harvard's Graduate School of Education and is one of the winners of Falling Walls in Berlin. She's also on the Forbes 30 Under 40, 30 Under 30 Asia list and was most recently awarded Innovator of the Year 2023 by 100 in Finland. And we very recently had Lasse um, on this podcast. He's the co-founder of 100. So it's all kind of convening back. Um, and I love this final line, just before I hand to you, you know, that you believe in the power of finding one's voice and engaging with music, travel, coaching to evolve your own constantly. Love it. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Luke. I'm so glad to be here. And yeah, it's so so wonderful to also have this conversation with you after after almost a year, my friend. It has been. And what a year it's what a year it has been. Um you've been up to some wonderful things. And if there's anything I would reflect about you and your character, Jigyasa, it's it's this uh, the constant openness to transformation within yourself. And so this question. I'm very curious about how you answer this question, which is our opening question always, is what's something that you're learning at the moment that's coming into your field of awareness or that you're really finding yourself drawn towards? I think, um, so I grew up um, as a as a child um, who always had bittersweet emotions. You know, I was, um, I cried really easily even now. TV commercials oh, yeah. make me cry all the time. Um, music. Um, poetry, everything that's beautiful, right, about the human condition. And as I was growing up, um, I feel I was constantly asked to, you know, be happier, which I am. I think I'm an extremely joyful person. Yes. But I think I had sort of lost a little touch with a bit of sweetness in me. And um, mm. just just last week, I finished reading uh, this gorgeous book called Bittersweet by Susan Cain. And who also got quiet, which was another wonderful book. And um, what I'm learning is to reconnect with uh, my bittersweetness, reconnect with my relationship with sadness, reconnect with um, what does it mean for me uh, to be this person who's sensitive, who feels things and not feel shameful about it, uh-huh. uh, to not get sucked into a culture of um, always smiling, always productive, um, always on the go. Uh, always invincible. I think I'm embracing the beauty and creativity that unleashes when I'm able to embrace that bittersweetness. Oh my goodness. That is so profound, Jigyas, and so beautiful, especially in this world we've we've kind of found ourselves in of like constant elevation of highlights, even within the social media sphere or even in the kind of thought leadership or brand you sphere which of course is the reality for all young people today 
So this idea of like reclaiming the full human condition. What a beautiful sentiment. I do like Susan Cain's work, so I'll have to take a read of her of her book, Bittersweet. And so, the, so let's let's stay on this theme then around the kind of the full human condition, because I'm, as you know, we are both very interested in transformation and learning, and of course, learning through transformation and transforming through learning. So, how do you how do you really think and feel, or even be with that as an as a state or a cha- like a shift? at some level, especially with your direct work that you do with young people and kind of helping them find their spark and their uniqueness and to be able to contribute that back. Thanks for asking, Luca. Um, yeah, another thing that I'm learning, I'm, I'm going back to the- <laughs> I just framed this next question so well. <laughs> no, you can do whatever you like. It's great. Another thing I'm learning is- uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, to to travel with my ukulele so so i do play the guitar ukulele and uh, uh the guitar was too heavy heavy to travel with anyway sure. and uh, now i started traveling with my ukulele and i'm just like learning no, more songs on it so that too that's something really joyful that i mean it brings me a lot of joy energy uh beauty uh, to engage with music and uh, of course that reminds me of you luca um this <laughs> Thank second you. question um, which was the original question for for this question uh, was about transformation. Um, I think um, often, you know, when we hear or talk about the idea of changing the world, and it's this is really funny. Uh, mm-hmm. Even uh, at university, there was like one of the communities or committees had this, um, you know, tagline, which is which was change the world. Yeah, and a couple of years down the line, they changed it to change the world for better. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Well, um, not all not all change is good, I guess, is it? <laughs> right. Um, but um, something that I grew up hearing was uh, change is inevitable, growth is optional. And I feel when I think about transformation, um, I think about growth. And when I think about growth, the most obvious growth is something that happens on the outside that we see in the world, that we see in the shifting of metrics. Um, but but another kind of growth uh, that I deeply care about and believe in is um, inner transformation, inner growth, and what happens to us as we engage uh, with some of the most pressing problems of our world, what happens to us when we engage in expressing our full selves and that kind of growth uh, is what I would call transformation. So, so even when I think of our work, um, for children, it's very inward focused, right? Discovering who you are as a person, discovering your voice. And although we might see the outcomes of that in something which is very external, right? When you think of the arts, when you think of children performing spoken word poetry, when you think of children um, talking about things that are important to them, raising their truths to power, mm. you see something it's very external that that is something you can show uh, yeah. but the kind of changes it brings inside you um the kind of person it makes you to listen to your own voice to be able to express it um and to be able to say that i have something to say um i find that transformative um and for me mm. transformation is um inner growth who you who you become um in the process 
I think it was a um a countryman of yours, Jigyasa, who said, We we all think about changing the world, but we must begin by changing ourselves. I think that was Gandhiji. And um Gandhi. I've I've, I've I've always felt so I get goosebumps. I've always been so drawn to that because when we think about our work in schools or in systems or in communities, it is this ultimately inner transformation that matters. Even if we think kind of in a more, I don't know, you might say external standpoint around like academic achievement, what we're actually talking about here is the, the functions of the brain and the brain in action, which is the mind. And so that's still an inner transformation. It's all within us. It's all interoceptive. You know, it's all kind of within our body. And I feel that there is something about clearly our work for both of us uh, in the field of social emotional learning, which is this self-awareness, the self-knowledge, which has been baked into so many traditions over time. You know, the, the Greek philosophers that I'm drawn to, you know, and the other kind of Eastern, you know, whatever it is, there's kind of this is really deeply human understanding that it's kind of the marriage of the inner and the outer world. It's like that inner voice can then drive us to create and contribute in the outer world. And I really, I'd love you just to just, I guess, tell us a bit of a story about slam out loud because I, you know, it's wonderful work. And I mean, we're talking a bit conceptually here, but how do you think transformation can take place if we shift the conditions around a young person in whatever context, majority world, minority world, low, high income, so that they can really step into their power and, and in, in, that, in that way transform and contribute? What, what are, what's some of that work that you're seeing and the, the shifts that you're seeing take place? Yes. I'll share. I'll share a little bit about um, what what led to Slam Out Loud, and then how I right. connected to uh, what conditions need to change around children. Um, so, so I grew up with a lot of exposure to the arts myself, and especially being the bittersweet type, I mm. think um, I felt that I found my voice most. I felt most myself when I was you know, either writing a poem or dancing or engaging mm. with music. Um, and when I started teaching in a low-income classroom, it was um, a natural instinct for me to bring in a lot of music, poetry, theater into my own class. So I did all of that, put in so much of art into my own class. And suddenly I saw um, my children, you know, starting to raise their hands speaking more, speaking about themselves, bringing mm. um, in their culture into the classroom all of a sudden, which is something we had never talked about. Um, I never knew my kids had so many opinions. Um, <laughs> and I discovered all of that when they received that safe space to express themselves. Yeah. And uh, Slam Art would have continued as a you know project, uh, like a passion project inside my classroom or would have spread to multiple classrooms. Um, but um, Slamala's journey was intertwined with my own personal journey of coming to terms with who I am. Um, so my family, um, as you know, Loka is originally from Kashmir in India, which is, you know, in the Himalayas. Uh, and uh, my parents belong and I belong to the community of Kashmiri Pandits. And there was an exodus which happened in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, in which uh, their community was persecuted had to leave Kashmir. And uh, until I was 22 years old, mm. I had never 
visited Kashmir even once, wow. which is which is technically my motherland where I'm from. And uh, the first opportunity that I got to do that was when I was teaching these children. And I interned with the government there. I entered one of the classrooms and mostly what I offer or is a gift that I have to offer is a spoken word poetry workshop uh, that I do that I've also done with you. Uh, I remember, I the, remember. The, the small workshop yeah. Where, yeah, where we, you know, chose an emotion and wrote a small poem on that emotion. And um, I asked all children, I'd done this workshop more than 50 times with different kinds of kids. And I asked the children to pick an emotion, took them through a structure to write a small poem on that emotion. And uh, if there were like there were about 35 children in the classroom, more than 30 ended up writing about emotions like anger, confusion, sadness, hate. Um, and again, Kashmir is one of the highest militarized zones in the world. Mm. Um, their school was shut through most of the year. Um, mm. and and children were expressing their relationship with the political environment through poetry, even when I didn't ask them to. Um, and I think that made me deeply feel that made me feel strongly about the case for children having safe spaces to express their emotions to say how they really feel and mm -hmm. of course like all over the world um, anyone who's engaged with the arts in any way all of us know that um, arts is such a powerful way to to bring those emotions to the fore to find an outlet and yet we deprioritize artistic learning so much especially for low-income children um, mm -hmm. and and that's that's the space I know a little bit. So that's the space I'll talk about. Um, when we think about children who come from low-income backgrounds, we think about at best academic success, at best getting a job, but nothing beyond that, you know, mm. social emotional learning, um, finding safe spaces for creative expression, yeah. speaking your true power, uh, thinking about your culture, bringing your culture into the classroom. These are not things that we prioritize, especially for children who come from these backgrounds. And this is clearly evident in um, how we fund art programs in schools. Yeah. In yeah, in Delhi, our ratio of art teachers to number of students is 1 is to 1400, meaning less than 20 hours of artistic education for children who go to government schools. Mm. Um, it's mostly lower across other states in India. and um, if at all children have access to an art period, either there are no teachers or we convert it into a science period or a math period. Um, so my work at Slam Out Loud is really about transforming how this art class, which exists in every child's school curriculum, um, how, how might we transform it into a space which is safe for children to express emotionally, mm. um, to talk about things that are important to them, uh, to build social emotional learnings and to also learn about things like gender, like climate, which are such an important part of our identity, especially now um, through the arts, explore mm -hmm. that using the arts. Um, and, and that's what I care about, children having safe spaces for creative expression. It's, uh, it's, so, it's so wonderful to hear the genesis of all this work and now the scale at which it's functioning as well. It's, it's quite inspiring, I have to say. And you said a couple mm -hmm. of things there that, um, yeah, that I guess, well, one comment, and one question, I guess the comment I have is that I sometimes wonder about, as you say, you know, the kind of efficiency argument saying that, well, if you're a low income child, 
what's most important are the skills for the economy. And so I'd love for you in some ways to kind of like dismantle that paradigm, which I think, you know, comes from a well-intentioned place from a policy lens, perhaps, or, you know, if you have a limited budget, where, how do you put that budget? Because I think the second thing you said was like learning through the arts. When we think about just before we press record, you said something really profound, you guess, which was you've been thinking about how you help, how we might have more people exploring what they love. And there's something that we've kind of lost in our legacy systems, or perhaps was never there in the first place, about this, well, what are you good at and what can you be paid to do? The professionalization as opposed to the what brings you alive and what does the world need? To your point about it's not just about change the world, it's change the world for the better. You know, like it's a kind of a, there's an ethical and moral, you know, imperative that we need to pay attention to. So I would, yeah, I'd love your reflection on like what's the case for this? Why is it, why do we still find ourselves saying, well, actually, the most important skills are the basics? And yet knowing that the arts, the arts provides, I think, the most transformational vehicle to get to the basics anyway. What's your what's your reflection on all this? Absolutely. Um I I was this was supposed to be a meme on Instagram that I saw. Uh, <laughs> sure. But, um, you know, if, um, or, or I saw it on Twitter, um, if a child is able to solve a complex calculus problem, but is not to communicate in relationships um, or is not able to um, communicate as an individual, talk about their needs, um, they'll have a much lesser um life experience than someone who's able to so um it's it's not one it's not this or that right it's not like we make a choice towards social emotional skills we're making a choice that you know no academics at all um it's and while of course like social emotional learning skills are not in service of the academics Mm. we have so much data and research that Children who are able to better regulate their emotions, children who are able to solve conflicts without violence, children who are able to better communicate uh, are also able to do better academically. And if at all they fail, um, they need those skills to get back on. We have so many like rising cases of suicides among teenagers. We have so many rising cases of um, unemployment we need people who are more creative about finding avenues to what to do next very interestingly world economic forum which is essentially about how you know um how our world can progress um and economically um and and in many diverse ways as well talks about um how important social emotional learning is or how important the arts are or how important our life skills for children and especially for children coming from adversity Uh, for children coming from adversity. We already know that there is, there are systemic barriers that will lead to more failures than they will uh, for young people and children who come from backgrounds of privilege Um, because their world uh, in their world and how the world is um, stacked against them or how so many possibilities are stacked against them. They, Mm. um, their chances of doing better rely on um, what kind of life skills they have uh, because mm. their life is harder um, no matter how much we want to underline hard work and yes. not acknowledge privilege. Um, their lives are harder and they need the skills to deal with it. 
I, I wondered, Jigyasa, about. Oh, that's, be- that's a beautiful, I might say that's a beautiful case that's been made. Because um, I do feel like there's a, a bit of a progression here. There's the progression on just academics, academic achievement. So the, the lens of well, social and emotional learning to support academics, which is great. Yes. And maybe a, a further progression, which is, well, actually social domains and dimensions of learning emotional dimensions and cognitive slash academic dimensions converged as, as kind of the fabric that holds together any transformational learning approach. I mean, any good educator, any good, any human being would say, oh, I like learning that isn't social or doesn't move me emotionally. It's not my favorite learning because of course yeah. it's not. And so the thing that gets us out of bed, the thing that excites us, you know, that it really feels so intuitive. And yet I feel like even with the 30 years of evidence we have, it's still sometimes we kind of snap back to this is what matters most. And, and you mentioned metrics at one point too. Um, and, you know, I think both of us are involved in kind of that new metrics conversation in some way, be it through Karanga or Salzburg Global Seminar, or be it through Learning Creates Australia here for us. You know, the whole idea is, you know, we need to kind of have a new set of dimensions that become valued because this whole piece, even like if if we're still judging, if we're still judging everyone by the same things, even though we're changing the narrative, when it comes down to it, we will just snap back to, well, actually, what was your academic achievement score at the end of 13 years of education, as opposed to what are your social like skills and what are your emotional skills? And this is hence the kind of broadening that I think is the returning back to, as you, as you said earlier, the full human experience. You know the full human experience. So, yes, like in your work, which is kind of alongside and system adjacent, but also within, like, what do you think the next steps are to help us cultivate the conditions so that people step out of formal schooling into what's next, with kind of a real sense of what they might want to do, you know, like to explore more, what brings them alive. Um, what do you think some of the system change elements are as we talk about? I mean, I'm, I talked about metrics. That's one of them, I guess. But what else do you think's there? Yeah, um, I'll go back to something uh, we started with and you mentioned also, which was like, how do more people do what they love more? Mm. And um, mm. you know, there's also there's also another beautiful uh, thought around how if like more people you know were were really following their hearts or found joy in what they were doing or were able to make meaning how radically different would the world look like right yeah. um if, if everyone in the world was working on in a transformation in some way um their outer world would transform itself um i also think of um how like one of the biggest scholars from india uh jidu krishnamurthy um, mm-hmm. And of course, a beautiful spiritual leader too. He he had said that um, you know when you become a teacher, if you work more on yourself um, or as who you are as a person, um, you will be transforming the lives of your children automatically. Um, so the question we need to think about beautiful. is um, what is causing more and more people who are part of systems, right? Our systems are ultimately made by people, and what is causing something inside them to shift and to say to recognize how how might more people um, experience their fullness how might more people be more of themselves and 
when I think specifically about Slam Out Loud's work, when I think of our work in uh, transforming how that class looks like, mm. um, I think of um, what would it take for more and more states across India and more and more countries to relook at the time that is given to arts in the school, to relook at what actually happens in that class? Is it about here's an apple, draw this apple, or is it about uh, what is something that's in your heart that needs to find its way out? Um, what would a class uh, look like where children uh, bring in stories from their homes? What could a class look like where children could um, express empathy, love to each other in the class, maybe through? poetry um, maybe um, through like sharing gratitude um, and and what could that look like um, systemically is is what I've been thinking about uh, within within our work we're currently collaborating with state governments and our mm. and our offering to them is um, about transforming this art period we can create curriculum, we can handhold teachers, we can support them. But yeah. all of this process happens with people's hearts and minds and attitudes and mindsets changing in the process. So for example, when Slam Out Loud works with teachers, yeah. uh, we're, we're not our training is not about here's what you do in the classroom. Our training with teachers is teachers write poetry and teachers create artwork and teachers share in open mics and teachers get to experience what it means to have a safe space to creatively express. And when someone knows what it feels like, what it means, when they've tangibly seen it, when they see their own voice uh, being discovered, that's when they can replicate that. Um, and that I find is a systemic shift in mindset, which we've seen with the teachers that we work with. Our teachers um, have cried, uh, you know, in our training sessions and, yeah. and said things that they've been holding on to since they were children. Um, so um, for us to be able to systemically transform that art class and policy around how art class happens and, you know, what's the input we put into it. There's so many people whose hearts and minds need to change on the way. It feels so, it feels like that is the real transformation, you know, and the vehicles for that are a workshop, a session. It's kind of like in, in our own in our own heart, in our own sense of passion and purpose in the world with whatever role that we do. But I think you just gave such a ex brilliant example, Jigyasa, of asking different questions. You know, I was just listening to you speak and how I'm quite obsessed with the questions that we ask ourselves in the privacy of our own minds, right? That's really good stuff. That's like, it's pretty deep. But, you know, even just the questions we ask our students, all the questions as leaders we ask our staff, all the questions we ask our systems as system leaders, all that we ask our communities. Because those questions, I think, reveal the mental model. They reveal our mindset over time. They revealed so much of that iceberg that remains under the water, that in subconscious or it's, it's kind of deeply held ways of being, doing, thinking. And I love this idea of rethinking assumptions, which my colleague talks a lot about, and Nock. And um, for me, it's really like, it's like, how do we see the world differently? And like, like, how do we learn to see? That's a great, that's a question that I like to think about, especially from a futures lens. That's why we do so much futures work with schools and, and people, because it helps us to see differently. It helps us to step outside our current construct 
and kind of look back at it and see the potential moving forward. And so I really, I mean, that bit on questions, I think is so, so powerful. And just the way that you frame things, I think is just, just beautiful. Um, so what is a question? Like, what is the, what are some of the questions that you ask yourself? Like, this is all unscripted, by the way. This is just total freakful. But yeah, what's, what are some of the big questions that you really, you sit with in the arc of your contribution as a, as a, a young leader, as a change maker? Yeah, I think especially because I'm in the work or my work is around, you know, um, safe spaces for children to find a voice. A question I ha- often ask myself is, uh, what does it even mean to have a voice? And what mm-hmm. does that look like? How is that evolving for me? How is it true to who I am? Who am I? <laughs> uh, you know, existential questions also. Definitely. But but connected to the line of thinking around voice. Um, I think um, another question that I've started asking myself uh, in the last few years is um, a question around nourishment and a question around um, taking care of me, others around me, um, and and really asking myself, um, what do I need uh, to show up as my best self? And um, often, you know, it has a different answer. Um, every almost every single day, it has a different answer. Um, another big question mm. um, that I ask myself, uh, especially when um, we're in uh, communities, um, is who is missing, um, and uh, who has not gotten a seat on the table, so that I can think about um, what is my role in relinquishing privilege and creating that seat on the table for someone else. Um, I ask myself really, really a lot of questions. My name, um, so Luca, interestingly, my name means curiosity. Ah. Um, <laughs> Hindi means curiosity. And uh, so I'm a child uh, and adult full of just like questions and questions. Um, where would I be if I was not here? Um, another, I will end it with my last question, but uh, another question that has significantly shaped my life or made a difference in my life um, has been a question about what am I willing to suffer? And um, this really comes from a place of, and you would resonate, this really comes from a place of being an entrepreneur and sometimes being on that island of entrepreneurship. And we're often able to you know especially when we start out we are often able to imagine the glory and uh, uh, the dazzling uh, beauty that comes with entrepreneurship Um, we imagine all of that Um, and uh, if we right from the beginning are also able to imagine the toil and the suffering that comes from it um, and really define for ourselves what are we willing to suffer I think uh, that leads to much lesser pain uh, that comes from the expectation of uh, how glorious it would be uh, <laughs> to work in these systems, to work in these unjust systems of the world. Wow. There's some very powerful questions, Jigyasa, and um, how fitting that that's your name and that's what it means, curiosity. It's my signature strength, actually, is curiosity, which is why I feel so at home in these conversations and also in the world of learning and education. Um I wonder. I I wonder about 
the future quite a lot together. So I'm curious about what the future might become. And I've always kind of been that way. I've always loved history, but also loved possibility. And so kind of my penultimate question to you is like, when you dream of the future, the future for your country, the future for your community um, in Kashmir and beyond, um, of course, where you live now, like education systems, more like how would you describe the future that you're fighting for? You know, what is that? Like if we're having this conversation in 10 years and you and I are a little, a little older, a little wiser, with a few, few more gray hairs, you know, what, what do you hope has been accomplished through the work of a whole movement of people that can see differently? In the future that I'm hoping for, uh, a lot more people are doing um, what their heart craves for. A lot more people um, are loving what they do. A lot more people have choice um, and, and it's not an illusion. Um, a lot more people are more compassionate, uh, empathetic, building themselves up while supporting other people to build themselves up too. Um, and um, I see children, um, no matter where they come from, becoming world leaders, becoming artists, becoming Nobel laureates, mm. um, and someone's place of birth not determining where they would end up. Um, I want to see a future um, where more people have the ability to dream, uh, where more people find that canvas where if they see a dream, um, they do not kill it in the bud. Uh, because <laughs> of, mm. yeah, um, where more people um, ask better questions, where more people are curious and are um, exploring that curiosity, have the freedom, have the ability, have the means to explore their curiosity. Um, I see a world where education is not simply about uh, getting a job, uh, where um, education is really um, exploring who we are as humans and mm. how we can change the world for better. <laughs> That's wonderful, Jigyasa. It's it's so funny you said, you know, exploring curiosity. That's a beautiful dream, you know. <sighs> exploring curiosity is often when people say, like, oh, Luka, like, what have you been, like, what have you been building for the last 10 years? Like, what's, what, how did you create this kind of, career i guess that's not the word i would use but this kind of contribution set and life. I, I, yeah life this kind of life i would say it's been exploring my curiosity and my uniqueness as much as that's possible to do and again so much so many more blind spots and exploration to go um both in, in the inner world and the outer market you know and that's all happening um wow i also so, want to yeah sorry look i was also just gonna add a personal dream um, especially for, for the children that I work with. I think um, in the future, I see um, the children that I work with also becoming the cultural curators. Um, I, I don't see our culture being defined only by a group of certain elite who are able to find those platforms and whose voices are heard the most. Um, I want children who do come from underserved backgrounds, also finding the platforms to influence what culture looks like. Um, mm. Their voices also make a difference in the world. It's beautiful. Jigyasa. 
Oh my goodness. Um, so based on that personal dream and I think almost the kind of collective dreams that we all have, people listening to this have their dreams that they're fighting for, that they're waking up doing work, if be they an educator, a leader, an innovator, a parent, whatever the case might be. Thank you for listening, by the way. Um, so what would be your parting words to them then as you think about the take-home message that you might leave them with as they go about their day? Dreaming, creating, working, yeah, if uh, I think if people listening to the podcasts uh, remember that my name means curiosity, um, I'd urge them to explore theirs. I think curiosity can lead us to beautiful, wonderful places, sometimes dark ones also. Um, but it always causes transformation. It always causes growth when we follow our curiosity. Um, again, uh, because I'm a lover of memes, um, I'd uh, once seen a meme which said, uh, curiosity killed the cat, but the cat died nobly. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. I haven't heard that one. It's got nine lives anyway, so it could come back. But that's, um, but it died nobly. Yeah. To be able to go and find out. I think that's just, that seems like the real raison d'etre, like the reason for being, you know, it's to to discover what's ours to do. And then that's the question that I like a lot that I often reflect is like, what's mine to do today, Jigyasa? And today, one thing that was mine to do was to have this delightful conversation, you know, with you and explore Jigyasa, the concept of curiosity with you. So look, thank you so much for your generous spirit and your time. And I just really want to also like honor you for the work that you do in the world. It's incredibly inspiring work. And I've been lucky to have been in Salzburg with you last year to see the presence you have in person, but also, you know, how authentic you are in the way you hold yourself and the dreams that you are trying to manifest and make real um, across communities in India and beyond. So thank you very much from us for joining us. Thank you so much, Luca. Thank you for your music, uh, for your joy, uh, for all the laughter, curiosity and thoughtfulness that you bring into the spaces that you inhabit. Um, I definitely think you're changing the world for the better. Uh, and I'm grateful. For it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Jikyas. And you know, it's funny that uh, very few people know that I'm so musical. It's something that I'm really exploring. And um, based on this conversation, one commitment that I have is to actually allow that thing that brings me so much joy to be more, to, to gift that more into spaces that I sometimes withdraw from because of the kind of professionalization that I kind of feel, I think. Um, so there's a commitment I make to you, dear friend, um, to kind of allow that to be more there. I will ask in a week what you've done. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs>